0: The other day, uncharacteristically, I was cooking and actually using a recipe. And I don't usually do that. I usually just kind of wing it, see where it goes, see where it takes me. And uh, occasionally, like last night, in fact, I end up saying to my wife, we'll let the kids eat this slop, and uh, if you'd like, I'll take you out to get something to eat. <laughs> and uh, so I was, wa- I was using this recipe, and I was making some... Uh, It's a version of Haitian pâté. It's kind of like a Jamaican meat pie. But I was using a recipe to make it like uh, Indian fry bread, the crust. Turned out okay. Not great. While I was making it, I I was using shortening. The recipe called for shortening, and I don't usually... In fact, I don't know if I've ever used shortening, except for like 8th grade home ec, with with the exception of the other night. So I found myself, and this is more common to me, uh, singing... Mama's little baby loves shortening, shortening. Mama's little baby love shortening. But while I was doing it, and the kids were like, what are you singing? And Christina said, oh yeah, that's right. We've totally failed as parents when it comes to teaching the kids proper nursery rhymes and like common songs, you know. And uh, I was remembering this, you know, I'm bringing this up to say this. There is, I think, great power in ritual. Sometimes we, we, we're we trying to be so careful not to be ritualistic in a negative sense that we push it away, right? Well, when my kids were real little, and, uh, you know, I don't even know proper nursery rhymes or, or uh, I know it's like a couple, but like the songs that you would sing your kids to sleep with at bedtime, my kids only heard Christmas carols because that's all I knew. <laughs> but it was a routine, and there was a time when Ephraim was real little and Sebastian was just a little, you know, well, he would have been exactly the same difference in age then too, I guess. And uh, so maybe Sebastian was like four, bu- pushing five, and, and and Ephraim was like two. And I would—they had bunk beds back in those days—and I and I would put them both in the bed, and then I would I would put Ephraim on my chest usually and pat him, and I would tell Sebastian, "Stay in the bed, don't get out of the bed," because he always wanted—he was just a lot like Hansel, wanted to get out of the bed. And 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 Ephraim would sometimes ask, "We're gonna sing off?" We sing a off?" <laughs> And uh so there was like a ritual and it was something that they knew was coming, even though our ritual was so out of sync with the rest of society. Why am I saying that? Because I, I'm glad you're here and I like these intimate uh gatherings. I I would I would come, you know, today at noon from noon to two, we had me and me and my assistant pastor Ephraim, we had about uh six visitors today from noon to two, but uh for those six people we prayed together, we anointed a little girl with oil and prayed for, for ongoing uh, health considerations that God would continue to bless her, and it was meaningful. Then there's, there's power in this annual thing of remembering the life of Jesus. You realize that the liturgical calendar, that's all it is the whole thing is remembering it starts at advent and we talk about the birth of jesus what advent means coming uh you know in 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 uh his coming his his coming in the incarnation and then uh, we follow the life of jesus through to the cross and then we follow the life of the church. In a couple of months, it's gonna be Pentecost. And I'm excited about a real what I think will be a real beautiful possibility of, of Mount Hope connecting with another church and celebrating the bigness of the church, the, the 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 nature of the 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 church universal, the Catholicity in a real sense, the universal nature of the church. That wherever believers are found, right now, all around the world, in every corner of the globe, people are celebrating Good Friday, or I think Holy Friday is a better word for it, perhaps. I like how some people say that. So here we are, engaged in the power of ritual. Considering what happened on that Friday. Right? We drape a cross with some black, you know, whatever that is. Somebody's old scarf or something. I don't know what it is. Some black fabric to symbolize the the bleakness of what fell and what occurred on that day. There's only a few times a year I get to wear this black stole and I love it, so so I don't pass up on the opportunity to put it on. Ritual. And what is ritual if not remembering? Something we can look forward to to give us an opportunity to stay anchored in the things we hold dear. Like my kids love Christmas carols. So I'm going to share with you just a couple of thoughts and then I'm going to ask you to do something which may be a new practice for some of you. I've been doing this in churches for several years on Good Friday and uh, this is the first time I actually built the cross because unlike every other church I've served, y'all didn't have an actual wooden cross anywhere in this place that I could disfigure. No, you don't. They're made of foam. The cross beam is foam, unless you know of one that I just couldn't find. But I actually really enjoyed the opportunity to build this wooden cross. In fact, it was a kind of sacramental experience for me. I was out in our workshop, our shed, where there's a few tools, some of which I know how to use. And uh, uh, Ephraim helped me a bit, and we were out in the, out in the shed, and... Uh, we we got a I got a hammer and a chisel. I wanted to really do this like old world. Let's build a cross, something like maybe someone would have built a cross back in those days. And uh, I realized a few things about the actual cross. This is much smaller than what the actual cross would have been, right? Maybe this is scaled down one to five, maybe. I mean, the, the an actual cross, the cross beam would have been really large. And Jesus either carried a cross beam. That would have weighed immensely more than this, or he carried an entire cross, you know, because sometimes the post was already in the ground. So and the accounts they speak of him carrying his cross. It could have just been the cross beam and they still would have probably said it that way. In either case, he carried an immense weight. I was fumbling around in, in my, my workshop and uh, dropped that thing on my thumb and uh, it hurt. Uh, it was heavy. And then I was, you know, hammering away on the thing, and, and we cracked the wood. So Ephraim's like, we got plenty of glue, Dad, so we glued it back together. You'd never guess where. And then we found these garden stakes, and these are uh, probably much larger than the nails that would have actually held him there, somewhere at the the, the middle of the wrist right in here it most likely wasn't through the hand the weight of a ma- of a human uh, male would have caused it to rip through most likely it was somewhere in the wrist uh, area but in Jewish thinking all of this is hand so the biblical account that it was in his hand is not inconsistent with the idea that it would have more likely been in the wrist probably much smaller than that in fact I have if you later when I ask you to come up here you'll see there's a little uh in that little glass case there i have a first century roman crucifixion nail and uh... at least that's what the antiquities dealer who sold it to me at a very high price said it was (laughs) i hope it was it seems to be seems to be consistent with it i have a genuine certificate of authenticity and everything uh, that he probably printed out on his computer and uh... so later i'm gonna ask you to come up here and actually hammer in a nail into this representation of the cross which is heavy but not as heavy as that which jesus bore and not physically or spiritually because of course jesus bore the the full weight of the sins of humanity upon himself and christina found for me this little uh, crown of thorns i wish i could say i handmade that but i didn't representing the nature of the king that we serve You know, the other day, of course, Notre Dame, that great cathedral in Paris, burned. And so many people were thrilled because there is an actual crown of thorns that many people believe to be the crown of thorns worn on Jesus' head. And it was stored and is still stored there at Notre Dame. And that may or may not be the actual, you know, relic of the crucifixion although it most certainly came from about 300 AD when Constantine's mother was on a relic hunt, the Emperor Constantine of Rome, whose mother was a devout Christian. And she went to Jerusalem and all of the Christians there said, here it is, here's the actual crown. It may or may not be, but it does point to the reality of the fact of what happened that day. And the real value is not in whether or not that's the actual crown, but that it points us to what happened at the cross that day. I love the story of a church's guest preacher who came to preach one evening and he was preaching and preaching away and then he had to leave and he was going to be late to catch his train and so he showed up at the train station and he only had about two minutes left to get on the train and to head back to his hometown and As he was getting on the train, he noticed there was a man yelling for him to stop. And this person had been in the revival service where this man had just preached. And he said, sir, sir, I I, I only caught the end of your message, and I want to know how to be saved. And the preacher, of course, he wasn't going to miss his train. It was the last train of the evening. And so he gave a very concise sermon to which somebody says you should learn from him, I know. And... uh, (laughs) So he says this to the man, he said, uh, look up Isaiah 53, 6, which is found within the passage that Michelle just read, that section of Scripture known as the Song of the Suffering Servant, telling us all about foretelling what was going to happen at the cross, and that's what we're talking about tonight, what, what happened at the cross. And so he said to the man, go in at the first stall and go out. At the last all, read Isaiah 53.6. So when he arrived at home, he took down his Bible and he turned to Isaiah 53.6 and he read these words. All, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Go in at the first all, he repeated to himself. All we like sheep have gone astray. I am to go in with that all. I'm one of those who have gone astray. Yes, I see it. It just means that I am one of them. And go out at the last all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I see, he said to himself. Yes, I am to go out free with those whose iniquity has been laid on Christ. At last he realized his individual lost condition and his individual redemption. And that's really what happened at the cross is Jesus with hands wide open and arms outstretched demonstrated the fullness of the depth of the love that God has for his creation. Satan was defeated in the moment that he thought he would have his final victory and the debt of our sin was paid. But none of that has any personal significance until you and I come to recognize just what it was that was happening at the cross for me and for you on a personal and an individual level. It wasn't just something that occurred, even if it could be proven to have happened historically, which I'm going to try to point at that on Sunday. Even if it can't be proven that it's changed the lives of so many countless people and on the evidence and testimony of that life change, the spiritual reality of the resurrection, that it ought to have some impact for me. Even those ideas will be lost unless you and I recognize this one fact. As I hammered in those giant nails. Again, it was kind of like sacramental. Thinking these are the hands right here that hammered in... Those nails, these imperfect hands. I'm glad it's Good Friday because it's a day like any other day. I walked in here and I realized I had dirt all over one of my shoes. My hands still smell a little bit like the stain that's on that cross. It's been a long day. I forgot the nails, so I had to run to Home Depot real quick. It's like a normal day for me, you know? Always a step behind of myself. It's a normal day, just like any other day, and every day is a day for us to remember what happened at the cross. Those Roman centurions could have been any one of us, and in a very real sense, they were us. What happened at the cross is that the King of Kings was humiliated voluntarily. What happened at the cross is that the Savior of mankind was exalted in the most bizarre possible way to fulfill Old Testament prophecy concerning the reality that if the Savior be lifted up, He'll draw all men unto Himself. Imagine how paradoxical that is. Here is the King of Kings lifted up on a cross, and and have you ever noticed... Oh, I pray that if you haven't had this experience that you would have it tonight or that you would begin to have it as the Lord led. Have you, have you ever recognized how, how despicable the image of the cross is? This isn't some beautiful thing. In ancient times, this was not a beautiful thing to adorn your neck on a necklace. Or like my wedding ring has these three crosses etched in it. Etched in gold. Inexpensive gold nonetheless that cross wasn't a beautiful thing it was an emblem of suffering and shame so much so that that is the very purpose of the cross's creation was to to be a, a an instrument of death which caused humiliation and suffering all at the same time it wasn't a beautiful thing to to decorate things it's an audacious act to raise a cross on a steeple over a building and then gather together in it we're saying, oh, we're a people of, of, of despicable pain and suffering. Why? Because at once, when you gaze at the beauty of Jesus on the cross, you see the most beautiful man, the God-man, the, the, the one who loved prostitutes and sinners, the one who laid down His life for every one of us, and in the bleeding and in the suffering and in the sorrow and in the shame. Like Isaiah said in that song of the suffering servant that Michelle just read, Our iniquity was taken off of us and put onto Him. The only one who could ever bear it properly. That's what happened at the cross. You and I were set free. This week, I hammered these nails, chiseled the notch for the crossbeam, I did it because I wanted to have a a wooden cross for an exercise of hopefully some spiritual significance to you tonight. But along the way, I had a sacramental experience. I hit my hand and missed the nail and dropped the thing on me. I got a splinter. Man, did that ever hurt too. It was right in there. What hurt worse is I peeled it out myself before I let Christina get to it because she'll go at it like a murderer getting splinters out. So I went ahead and just did it myself to avoid the pain. In fact I didn't even tell her about the splinter until right now. She'll go at it with like a like a real mom, you know what I mean? With like a like a safety pin opened up, like digging in there. She used a fish hook one time to get a splinter out of my hand. I ain't even playing. It reminded me of the truth that our sin really did construct the cross, that it was real hands that did it. It was real human sinful hands that nailed Christ to the cross. That would be shameful were it not for the fact that that's what was put to death on that cross. Not our Savior. He died willingly and rose again. But what remained on that cross was the death of The dead corpus of shame and of sin and of its consequences. And all you and I must do, what a beautiful picture that God has painted at the cross. All we have to do is embrace its ugliness to receive all of its life. That's what happened at the cross. So that we might be able to join the Apostle Paul in declaring, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Gazing at the cross, we see such beauty so as to make us hunger and thirst for the grace that was poured out there. If only we would look and see.